0: If you had a month left to live, how would you spend your time? If you're younger, your impulse might be to fight that end date with all you have. If you're older, your temptation might be to give up. Peter had probably similar responses at different points in his life. He had the you will live at all costs" response. When men came to arrest Jesus, he was ready with his sword. He attacked the high priest's servant he was ready to go down fighting. And if nothing had happened between that moment and the end of his life, which we see this passage pointing to, he probably would have had that second response to keep fighting or potentially else to give up. But when his own crucifixion drew near, he had a different response. Peter's goal for his hearers at the end of his life was for them to keep remembering the prophetic word. Keep remembering. I see this in verses 12 through 15. Keep remembering, first of all, what you already know. Peter was reminding his audience of truth. These things. Verse 12, I will be ready to remind you of these things. What are these things? Well, verse 10, he said, practice these things. And verse 12, he says, remember these things So he's probably referring back to those qualities of spiritual maturity, of Christian virtue that he talked about in verses 5 through 7. I'm going to keep reminding you, as long as God gives me breath, I'm going to keep reminding you that you need to be growing in your relationship with God. He reminded them, even though they already knew the truth and were established in it. He said this at the end of verse 12, You already know it. You've been established in this truth which is present with you. So I'm not telling you new things but I'm reminding you of truth that you already know. How many times did your parents remind you as a kid to brush your teeth? Or maybe when you got a little bit older to put gas in the car after you took it out? Maybe you have a boss who keeps reminding you of things over and over again, and you say, You know what? You told me this last week. Maybe it's a spouse. Would you help me with this? I already know. You and I tend to welcome those reminders. It's easy for us to get aggravated with them, right? Pride says, I know it all, so stop telling me. Humility says, there's always more to learn, so I'll listen. Even if I've heard it dozens of times, I still need truth. Now, I'm not saying reminders from a parent or your boss or your spouse are on the same level as what Peter's doing here. I'm just saying that same sort of bristly response that we get when we hear something that we've heard before, Either we turn it out or we're like, "I know this. Stop telling me." Peter saying, "You need to hear this again, and I'm going to keep telling you as long as God leaves me here." Keep remembering what you already know. Keep remembering through the ministry of those who are nearer to death than you are. Peter was still alive, so he had opportunity to keep reminding them in this way. He said, "I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling." to stir you up by way of reminder. There's a lady named Florence Steele that I had opportunity to minister to for four or five years when I was down in inner city. She was at a retirement home across the parking lot from the church. And uh, she was in her late 80s, early 90s during the time period that I knew her. Actually, early to mid 90s, quite honestly, now that I think about it. The point is, she was at a stage of life where she'd lost most of her friends She lost some of her kids. Like She felt very alone. She would ask me, what's the point of me being here? And I would say to her, Florence, I can't answer that fully. But I do know that God has something for you to do. And part of that something for you to do is to encourage people. And whether you see it or not, there are people that live around you at this retirement home that you're encouraging when you're at lunch, when you invite them over to your, your room there at the place. When, when you come and show up to the Bible study and participate, that encourages me the conversations that we've had when you've been recovering from a broken hip or pneumonia or whatever else at the hospital, those things have encouraged me and they've encouraged other people around you. God has given you an opportunity to serve Him even though it feels like your usefulness is over. I talked to Florence last, mm, somewhere between March and May of last year. And we talked and she encouraged me once again and we had that same conversation I just described to you and uh... last fall we were driving down to I think we were driving down to Indiana for Thanksgiving and one of the guys that I used to go visiting with got word that he had died so I thought you know what I should check in on some of these different people and I called the place where she lived and she was not there anymore she had gone home to be with God But she had that opportunity to encourage people and remind them of things they already knew in that window that to her felt extremely long those last five or six years of her life. Peter had that same attitude. As long as I'm alive, I have opportunity for ministry. And it might not feel like much. But when Florence and I talked not long after Kelly died, she was the person I needed to talk to. She lost a daughter to brain cancer. She would lost a lot of friends to other things. She knew what grief was like, and she knew what walking with God through it was like, and she encouraged me. So if you're the one who's gone through those difficulties, don't feel like your usefulness is over. And if you're the one who is hearing from someone Who has those experiences and that testimony for God in them? Listen, Peter knew he was about to die. He was going to pass truth on to the next generation. He said, Knowing, verse 14, that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter's like, I know it's soon. I don't know exactly when. Here's what I'm going to keep doing as long as God gives me opportunity. Now, This could tie into John chapter 21, in fact I think it does, where Jesus tells Peter that there's a day coming when When you're younger, you get to go where you want and control what you're doing and all that sort of thing, and there's going to come a day when they are going to take you and they are going to take you where you don't want to go and and, uh, dress you in a way they don't want to be dressed and all this sort of thing. And you might take a glance at that and be like, yeah, that's what happens when you get older, the roles reverse from being a parent to a child, right? I don't think that's what he's talking about, though, because right after that in John 21, it says, Jesus said this to him, signifying by what way you are to die. And the specific wording that Jesus uses is, and they are going to stretch out your hands. And church history says that Peter was crucified just like Jesus was. So, whether he's referring to that or to a later revelation, just like God gave Paul later revelations when it was almost his time to go, is not the most important thing. The most important thing is Peter knew from God that he was about to die, but he didn't have that same response that he did when he was brash and outspoken and we're just going to fight and not let this happen, even though it was God's purpose for Jesus to die. So going back to what I was saying a moment ago. If you're younger, you might think that older people are worthless. They can't move fast as you. They have a hard time with technology. They look at the world differently. If you're older, you might sometimes feel worthless. Lots of things hurt. Life feels like it moves faster, and people sometimes forget that you earn your age and learn along the way. But if you're older, you probably see more clearly that not every problem in life gets fixed. You believe, hopefully, more deeply that heaven is better, and you have truth to pass on, so pass it on. God doesn't call you to spend the last years of your life just sitting around waiting. Pass on the truth, then walk with God that you have had. If you're younger, learn from those who are drawing closer to heaven's front door. It could be your last conversation with them, so don't waste it. And the reality is, it doesn't have to be young versus old, because life is unpredictable. And sometimes people die when they're 20 or 40 or 60, and sometimes they live till much longer, and we don't know. So, To the extent that God is working in your life through these conversations with people, don't waste those opportunities. Keep remembering now the last thing Peter says here in verse 15. Keep remembering now so that you can remember later. I will be diligent that at any time after my departure you can call these things to mind. How do you get ready for later? You don't get ready for later by being lazy now. Uh, sometimes we might say something like, when I'm high school in high school, this will matter. When I'm married, this will matter. When I get this job, this will matter. When I'm retired, this will matter. Don't be looking for that thing down the road when you think it will matter the way that you're living and serving God. Be serving Him right now because the habits that you're building now and the responses that you have to God in this moment are as much an important part of your life as all that comes later, if it comes later. Secondly, don't depend on someone else's walk with God to be your walk with God because that person's not always going to be here. Peter says very clear, he's not always going to be there. In fact, soon he's saying, I'm not going to be here, so I'm getting you ready so when I'm not here, you keep having a strong relationship with God. So, are you walking with God? Are you depending on a parent, a friend, a coworker, someone else to walk with God for you? Peter was getting them ready to walk with God on their own. Remember what you already know. Pay attention to the words of those who are, as far as we can tell, closer to meeting God. And get ready for later by getting ready now. Keep remembering, but keep remembering the right things. Uh, the main point that Peter makes in verses 16 through 21 is keep remembering the prophetic word. What are we supposed to remember? I'm supposed to remember truth, verses 16 through 18. Jesus is history, not a fairy tale. Peter didn't make up stories that he heard from someone else, verse 16. We didn't follow cleverly devised tales. When I was in high school I participated in a debate competition and you had to cite your sources for the evidence that you were using to make your case and they graded you based on not only on how well you made your point but also on the quality of the evidence that you used. So you wanted to use direct quotations probably by an expert in a field. We were I think the thing that we were debating was something about the role of the World Economic Forum. So if you had the people who were in charge of that, You would want their words. You don't want uh, a copy of a news report of what they actually said. So we were debating, and you were allowed as the opposing team, when you cross-examine the first team, to say, what was your evidence for this thing that you said? I don't know exactly what the other kid said, but it was something along these lines. Well, my mom was getting her hair fixed, so she talked to the lady there, and she read it in a magazine, something that someone else saw on TV. That's a really, really weak chain of support for the thing that you're saying. Here's what Peter's saying here. This wasn't a story I got from my cousin, and who got it from his, the guy that he saw at the market, who got it from some shepherd far away. I was there. When was he there? Specifically, I think he's talking about the transfiguration of Jesus when Peter and a couple other disciples go up on the mountain with Jesus and Jesus reveals his glory to a certain extent to the disciples. Peter was there. He saw the majesty of Jesus transfigured. He heard the voice of God from heaven. It says in verse 16, "...we were eyewitnesses of his majesty." When he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were there with him on the holy mountain. Why do you think Peter remembered that? I think part of why Peter remembered that is Peter is like, hey, this is a great spot. Jesus is here. Got a couple of famous Old Testament characters here. Let's just hang out here indefinitely. And God said, hey, Listen to my son, don't come up with your own ideas. That would be a very memorable experience. But Peter cites that experience to say, all these things that I've told you, these weren't second and third hand and fourth hand and stories I read from long ago, made up stories, fairy tales, whatever. I was there. I saw. I'm telling you, believe my words. And as we consider what Peter says here, and as we look at the accounts in the book of Acts and in the Gospels, Peter's account has the ring of truth. You ever heard somebody telling someone else's story? Sometimes people will do this. They'll, they'll take somebody else's story and try to pass it off as their story. And you can usually tell because it just it feels fake in some way. What Peter's saying is not somebody else's story. It's his own story, he's saying, believe in Jesus. Keep remembering the prophetic word. Jesus is history, not a fairy tale. And what's the other truth that he points out in verses 19 through 21? These are the collective words of the prophets confirmed. Verse 19, the prophetic word made more sure. Why? Because the object of those prophecies has come. Who's the object of these prophecies? It's Jesus. Now, when we look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, like we did in Sunday school this morning, looking at Joel 2 and correlating it to Acts 2 and some other things in Revelation, I think we do need to understand what the author is doing and saying to his original audience. So when Joel is prophesying to the people of Israel, he's prophesying to them, you've just experienced this huge plague of locusts that's resulted in famine. You're about to see another one if you don't repent. There is yet hope, and God is calling you to repentance. Whoever calls on his name will be saved. So we don't want to misuse that and jump to the New Testament and say, well, Joel is talking to Christians, in Madison Heights, Royal Oak area. Royal Oak, sorry, I live in Madison Heights. I get confused because it's not that far over there. Uh, Joel was talking to people in Royal Oak. No, he was talking to people in the land of Israel. But here's the thing. The thing he was saying to people in the land of Israel is the same thing that Peter was saying to people in Jerusalem, is the same thing that I'm saying to you right here, which is, God has spoken, repent, believe His Word. So that's the connection. It's a building on what the prophets have said, not a changing of the words, not a misapplying it to say something else for us today. It is this this unfolding of a series of words and events that are true and that are real because they come from God, not men, which he's going to get to in just a moment. So, these things are made more sure, not because they weren't true when they were spoken, but because they've been confirmed by everything that happened from there to here. In the Old Testament, and and building on that, Looking back on something, do you usually see it a little bit more clearly than when you're in the middle of it? And looking back on something versus anticipating something way down the road? Peter is saying, We have the prophetic word made more sure. What prophetic word? The things that were true about Jesus, the things that God said he was going to do. Everything that God spoke through Jesus and through the apostles, all of these things are more sure as God unfolds and, and delivers and, and accomplishes them. So, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to pay attention to this truth. How many of you ever tried to walk around in the dark? You raise your hand. How many of you ever tried to walk around in the dark? How did that go? There are a surprising number of things that you think you know where they are in your house that are not where you expect them to be when you walk around in the dark. But what does Peter say here? Pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. We are walking through a world that is dark and we need the light of truth that God has revealed to illumine our steps. And if we ignore all of that, we're like when you try to walk through your house in the dark, stumbling into things, hurting ourselves, not ending up where we intended to go. And Peter is looking forward to going from a lamp shining in a dark place to a day when, again, the object of prophecy is fulfilled completely and fully. The day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. When the day dawns, what is he talking about? I think he's talking about that great and final day of eternity when God's people are with him. When the light, a morning star arises in your hearts, I don't think this is a reference to Satan, although he's described in another place as being like a morning star, right? I think the focus here is just like in the Old Testament, God talked to the Israelites and said, The law is written on tablets of stone. Pay attention to it. The prophets say there's going to be a day when the law is not written on tablets of stone, but on the hearts of men. And Jesus talks about the fact that the Spirit will come and dwell within us. Paul talks about the fact that God's law is written within us. There's a day coming when we will see Him face to face. And there will be a real sense in which we don't need the Bible because we have the living word right in front of us. Peter's looking forward to that. The words of the prophets were true. You know that they're true because you've seen them fulfilled in Jesus. They anticipate the day when all is made clear, all is revealed, and all the darkness has gone away. So, what are we supposed to do between the moment that the prophets came? And the moment that all of God's glory is revealed in Jesus, just like there was a glimpse of it up on the mountain that Peter saw, what are we supposed to do between now and then? Pay attention to God's word. Keep remembering the prophetic word. Pay attention because it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our eyes. We see that in Psalm 119, right? Pay attention... Because we are no longer those who live in darkness, but those who live in the light of life. We see that in the words of Paul and others in the New Testament. Verses 20 and 21, I think, are extraordinarily important in our day. Truth is not your truth or my truth, but the truth from God. No prophecy of Scripture is of one's own interpretation. So we were talking about this in, again in the Sunday school hour when we were looking at Joel compared to Acts 2, compared to Revelation. People have all sorts of ideas about the meaning of phrases like the day of the Lord, the end times, all of those sorts of things. And it's easy for us in the pursuit of understanding what God has said to look at the things that have been said and to come to a point where we say, here's my view, here's your view, here's somebody else's view, there's a fourth person's view over there, and we lose the fact that this is the authoritative word of God that's supposed to produce a particular effect in us. And the particular effect that Joel spoke for in the Old Testament was not so that people could say, hey, Joel is a data point in constructing a timeline of the history of the world the point that Joel was trying to accomplish was to call the rebellious people back to God. The words that Peter and others speak in the New Testament are not intended for us to say, hey, I memorized that verse. And that's what we tend to do with these two verses. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Check. I know that verse for Sunday school. Great. Nothing to do with my life today. The point of it is God gave prophecy, proclaiming what He had already said, reminding the people of it, anticipating what He was going to do, pointing the people to it. Not so people could get into endless arguments about what it meant, but so that they would have a response and a relationship with the God who gave it. There is not your truth. There is not my truth, there is God's truth that we should seek to better understand. Why is that true? Because the second verse, verse 21, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. It didn't serve men's purposes when it was given. This wasn't Joel's idea, this wasn't Isaiah's idea, this wasn't Jeremiah's idea. God spoke through that person what he wanted his people to hear. They were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. And I think a lot of times we apply this to the Bible, and I'm not saying it has no reference to the Bible, just like we apply chapter 1 and verse 3 to the Bible, which also has application to the Bible. But just like verse 3 was focused on, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus, the end of chapter 1 is not so much focused on how we got the Bible, although it has application to it, it's focused on the fact that God gave His Word authoritatively and we need to pay attention to it. So when you read verses 20 and 21, don't say, yes, that's how the Bible came to be. Say, what am I supposed to do with the Word that God's given? And that's what Peter says in verse 19. Pay attention to what God has said. Which ultimately means we're going to pay attention to who? We're going to pay attention to Jesus. Because all of the things in the Bible are pointing to what God was doing through His Son and will do through His Son so that we would dwell with the triune God in eternity. And He would be our God and we would be His people. Which goes all the way back to the first book, right? 1 Peter chapter 2. Why did Peter write to his audience? To show them that you once were not a people and now you are a people, once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. God's design for you has not been forgotten despite the fact that you've been stubborn and rebellious throughout your history. Here, he reminds them of truths like believe in Jesus. Grow and mature in your faith. Be reminded of all these things over and over and over again until they are lived out in your life, which for us basically is our whole lives, that we have to keep being reminded of these things. As you're reminded of those things, pass those things on to other people because here is what life looks like. You and I start and we grow older and we learn some things along the way and we draw near to the end of our lives and then the next generation comes, and until Jesus comes back and breaks that cycle of birth and maturing and death and the next generation, that's going to keep happening. So how do we think that the next generation knows about what God has said? We have to pass it on to them. There are churches where people were content to say, I know the Bible for myself, but I don't really see myself as a teacher, so I don't need to worry about teaching Sunday school or even something less formal like having people over to my house and sharing what God's doing in my life and all that sort of thing, or just maybe not even going over to the house, just meeting somewhere and having conversations with people. They haven't seen the importance of that, and the church gets to a certain age, and everybody in the church gets to a certain age, and the truth hasn't been passed on, and so... There's no kids who are following after God and everybody else just grows old and dies and that specific local congregation ends. I don't think God wants that for our church. I don't think God wants that for any church. But the reason that that can happen in many churches is if we, as we grow older, don't pay attention to God's Word ourselves, And if we don't have the burden of Peter, to pass that on to others. I asked you at the beginning, if you had a month left, what would you do? How much would you be watching TV? How much would you be playing games? How much would you be just, and I'm not saying rest, don't rest, but how much would you just be, you know, sleeping the time away? How much would you be mm, just sort of turned inward, just sort of waiting? Or how much would you say, I have this brief window to keep serving God. What am I going to do with my time? There was a moment toward the end when Kelly just felt like it was it. And I said to her, I think God has a little bit left for you to do. And I don't know if it was that day or a day or so later, she was looking out the window and it was cold. And she was watching the birds flying around. And she had the kids come in the living room, and she said, Look out there. See those birds? God takes care of them. You might have a month, or you might have 50 years, What are you going to do with it? Are you going to call people to pay attention to the prophetic word that God has revealed? Are you going to waste your life on lesser things? I don't say this in an accusing way. I can look back at plenty of times in my life where I have wasted it away on things that did not matter and will not matter, and if I could go back and get those moments back, I would. And I'm not saying that there's no place for doing things that you enjoy or relaxing or whatever else, but our society is bent on selfish living and filling our lives so full of busyness that we never have moments to think about what's important. And so we just stumble our way through life like the person without a light. And then sometimes we get right up to the end. We're like, I wish I'd done... Do it now. You and I don't know how long we have. We need to keep remembering the prophetic word. We need to call those around us to know it and believe it and for them then to pass it on to other people because that's how God builds His church. That's how God accomplishes His work in the world. It's not me talking to this person, then me talking to this person, then me talking to this person, and it stops... It's me taking what God has said to this person who then talks to these three other people and then those talk to ten other people and God's work in the world multiplies through His Word but only if we live up to what God has called us to do. If by tragedy that we have experienced or if by just God's work in some other way through our lives, we come to a moment where we say, you know what? I'm not going to be like Peter focused on preserving life as long as possible like He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, or I'm not going to be like so many other people who are just sort of coasting on toward eternity. I am going to live my life in a way that remembers what is true, reminds people around me about it, and can, like Paul when he comes to the end of his life, look back and say, I have fought the good fight, finished the course, kept the faith, despite the fact that Paul wasted half his life in the self-righteousness of Pharisaism and even in murdering God's people, he saw that God forgave him and he used the rest of his life to serve God. And just like Peter spent a lot of his life being self-confident and the guy that in a well-meaning way was completely wrong in so many instances that we see in the gospel, God transforms his life. He goes from the day of Pentecost until the day of his crucifixion, some 20 to 30 years, in which he serves God faithfully. And that's what God's calling us to do. So keep remembering the prophetic word. Let's pray. Father, when we look at Your Word, it is easy to take it lightly, to see it as a task instead of an encounter with You, to see it as the end instead of a means to the end of drawing closer to You, or to just forget it completely because we're too busy doing other things that don't matter. Father, stir our hearts so that we would see the burden that Peter had the people that he was writing to and that we would have that burden in our hearts for the people that you put around us. Sometimes we have many moments with those people and sometimes we have just one. Sometimes we have many years to live for you and sometimes it's just a brief while. Help us to be ready to stand before you unashamed because we have done what you have called us to do as your people. We know that we can only do this through the salvation that Jesus brings. We know that you must uphold us in this task that you've called us to because we're not sufficient in it ourselves. We also know that you've said whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And for those who are your people, you will never leave or forsake them. And so we pray that you would help us in this task. In Christ's name, amen.